so much for checking out this episode of the Big Sky Boneheads podcast. My name is Michael Gray. His name is Scott Hershey. Really excited for our guest, Wiley Gustafson. Even if you don't know Wiley, you know Wiley. Because you couldn't escape him there for a while. If you've ever heard a Yahoo commercial on television, radio, or by passenger pigeon, <laughs> that Yahoo! That's him. That's him. He does it way better than you do, but he is a yodeler. <laughs> well, he's a musician. He's in a band. He's right. done a bunch of stuff, but he yodels. Like real, like a real one. He's been on Conan O'Brien. He's been on He's, he's on Space Ghost. He was on Space Ghost Coast. Space to coast. Ghost Coast to Coast. That's that for me, that's I mean, you're talking about a career watermark where I'm done. That's like winning the lottery. I'm done. I'm just gonna leave. He's a cool guy. Still making music. He's made like thirty albums. Yeah, and he's all over the state of Montana. Travels the world uh, with his band. So we're gonna talk to him about all of that uh, coming up in a few minutes. In the meantime, wherever you found this podcast, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the thing. It means a lot to us because then we get to take it to our bosses and go see somebody, anybody. I don't care who. It's not my boss. It's not my wife. Somebody's listening. Uh, and so we need to know that. Please do that wherever you found this thing. In the meantime, before we get to Wiley, uh, we do have to talk about the latest episode of When Bison Attack. We've got a new highlight video from Yellowstone of <laughs> yeah. a bison running people over. Uh, luckily, this one, uh, not as serious as the last one, but could have been. Yeah, it is important. I, I feel like there's and you can find the link in the show notes, uh, wherever you found the podcast. Just click on the link, and you can view the video for yourself if you haven't seen it. This one's a little different insofar as it doesn't look like the standard Turon behavior of trying to get close to them for a selfie or to pet them or anything. These people are on one of the wooden walkways in Yellowstone right. near the hot springs, and this bison finally is like, you know what? I don't recognize the sovereignty of your wooden walkway, sir, and I'm going to go and attempt to launch you into a low-Earth orbit anyway. They don't get off the wooden walkway well, to try to get away from the bison. Right, not, not until the bison knocks them off. But <laughs> right. These people cannot win because here's the thing. When people hear about a bison running over a tourist at Yellowstone, they automatically assume the tourist is an idiot. And sometimes the bison goes out of its way and runs real fast to go get somebody. And I think these right. people had an acceptable limit. It's hard to tell in the video, but it looks like they might have been at an acceptable distance. For a minute. And then... And, and, then, and then the bison and, made sure it was a very unacceptable yes. distance. The, the bison Very closed sure. the gap real fast. Real fast. And by the way, uh, if here's the thing. Like I said, they can't win because all right, they're on the boardwalk. This is in a this is around uh, Old Faithful. It's very close. It's right. in Geyser Basin, right? And in Geyser Basin, you're not supposed to get off the boardwalk. If you get off the boardwalk, you're a Turon. Right. And if you stay on the boardwalk and a bison chases you off, you're a Turon. <laughs> you can't win. No. There's no win here for these people. No, it's it, it's this is one of the rare instances where it looks like maybe maybe the humans involved. Uh, didn't do the dumb thing. This makes me a horrible person. The thing still made me giggle. There was a child involved who was nearly taken out, but not right. somebody sal like, snatched the kid out of the way, uh, did the dad save there. I'll tell you what, that took kid off. is not buying the stuffed bison at the gift shop in Yellowstone. <laughs> The kid is no longer a fan of bison because that one tossed him around a little bit. Yeah, I'm guessing that kid's probably not going to another national park anytime soon. Never. Hey, you want to go to Yosemite? <laughs> Screw you! I never want to go there again! Those stupid animals are mean! Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stay here where it's safe and play my video never games. never leaving the house again. No! And, you know, for good reason because a big, 
bag full of angry cheeseburgers nearly <laughs> killed him when he was a small child. And it so. looked like there was a ranger who looked, uh, you know, and this is a distance video. This video was taken on a cell phone from a uh, quite a ways away. And uh, you can tell because you can tell it's a long ways away because no one there is basically paying attention to the fact that this bison is attacking these people. The audio is just people talking about other things. Like they're not noticing right. that the giant, and this looks like a big bull bison. This is not a, a cow. It looks like a big, giant, mean bull. And it looks like that uh, ranger, even from that distance, is like 75 years old. It's it, She's got the hat. Right. But not the most nimble person I've ever seen in my life. No, she uh, she got out of there as quickly as she could. And then the, uh, the chef's kiss uh, part of the video. This bison then, there's another guy who is watching down the walkway at some distance. And he would have he would have walked into this if he had kept going. But he saw it. And he stops. And this bison stomps him off he just kind of like walks at him and the guy turns around like no sir i'm leaving i'm not waiting (laughs) but the guy has bear spray and if you don't know how bear spray works bear spray shoots a concentrated spray of an irritant into the face of whatever it is you're pointing it at and you have to hit it yeah it's close range you have to bang you know aim it at the animal's face yeah you want to hit it in the eyes and the nose and and stop it from doing whatever it's doing and this bison's like stomp 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 and this guy's like all right well i'm gonna go this way now and and he turns around and very casually fire just fires his bear spray off to his to his right (laughs) and just makes a yellow cloud of stuff that the bison then walks through as though he was trying on dracar at the mall he doesn't spray it at the bison no he leaves a cloud for the bison to walk through which is really weird so now it's this is just like pepper jerky you just all you got is a scented bison at this point who's already in a mood and he just walked through your pepper spray like the mist at a produce aisle of any grocery store so i don't know uh, what brand or uh, what uh, what what type of uh, bear spray this guy has but evidently it's not the aerosol type it's got a little squeeze bulb like french perfume <laughs> you just give it a little poof and the, the bison then just walks right through it this is the exact same thing that pepe Le Pew used before he got canceled on the warner brothers cartoons oh de pepper to spruce himself up so a lot of lessons to be learned from watching the video it's always important if you're headed to montana to uh recognize that the bison are a threat they're not your friends this isn't a disney cartoon and they will straight run you over they're really fast they're really mean and uh there there's nothing you can do to harm them especially in yellowstone can't even carry uh, you can't fire a gun you can you can transport a gun through the park you cannot fire it well and it's just as well because if this guy had a pistol he would have just fired it into the air like yosemite <laughs> sam rooting tooting shooting burp, burp, burp. waited for the bullet to drop on the bison behind him <laughs> with all of that said super excited to welcome our guest this week i've got so many questions we're joined by legendary yodeler and performer uh wiley gustafson sir how are you <laughs> feeling good this morning <laughs> He I'll, just does that like it's like it's nothing. Yeah, do you just do that in your day? That yeah, yeah. Six AM, that's the first thing that comes out of my mouth when I wake up every day. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I in preparation for this, I I, I watched your interview uh with Conan O'Brien. You said, Yeah, you gotta try it in your car and keep the windows up and I you know, that's how I learned to bugle for elk too. I keep a reed in the car and I'm only gonna do that when I'm not gonna bug anybody. I'm not I'm not ever gonna try it again because I tried it once in my car. <laughs> And that was enough for me to know that I can't. Whatever gene that is that allows you to do that, I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> and you got You stuff. know, yeah, it's yodeling. Uh, it's 
you know, one of those things that it helps to be gifted a little bit to be able to sing. But my dad was a yodeler. So uh, I got started at a, as a really uh, young age, and that helped a lot. So. And with yodeling, uh, Wiley, it's one thing to be a yodeler. Uh, and I know, uh, you know that's a select few who reach the level you have. But to take it in all the directions you have, I mean, uh, it, it's 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 got to be surprising even now to you after all these years of like, wow, I've been on Conan. Wow, I was on the uh, Space Ghost. Like all these amazing things that you've done have to kind of be like all through yodeling and music, of course. So, yeah, it was it was one of those things that I did in like junior high to goof off and to kind of keep the girls away. And um, I had no <laughs> idea that it would become a career. Um, it was one of those things I did for fun. My dad yodeled on the ski hill. We'd be up at Big Mountain uh, skiing, and he yodeled whenever he was happy. So on top of the ski hill or on top of, on top of a horse, he just, whenever he was happy, he'd let out a yodel. So that's kind of what I, I followed. And, and um, it was one of those things where I always thought my, my claim to fame would be that three minute hit song on country radio but it was just a three note yodel on yahoo how did your dad get started he learned from his older siblings and they learned believe it or not from the austrian olympic ski team back in the late 30s um they had come to bozeman montana montana state university to to practice at i think it was at bridger bowl and um they met up with the Austrians and the Austrians yodeled and, and my dad's older siblings learned how to yodel from them and they just passed it on. I can't think of anything better than an Olympic grade skier. If they could yodel and ski at the same time and the noise they would make going by me on the hill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the doppelganger, the, yeah, the Doppler effect. <laughs> right. Imagine that. Hey, uh, Wiley, you, you mentioned uh, just uh, really quickly there, but it's uh, it's such kind of a signature thing for you, the Yahoo thing. The Yahoo Yodel, which we all still know. How did that happen? How did you and Yahoo end up getting connected on something that at the time was probably kind of new with the Internet? It was. So um, back in the early 90s, I had – I had moved down to Los Angeles uh, to pursue a music career. That was actually in the late 80s. And uh, by the early 90s, I had a band going. We were playing in Los Angeles. And I was probably one of the only guys yodeling in a band in Southern California. And I got noticed at a club called the Palomino by, um, by somebody who was doing commercials. And they said, we need a yodeler for for a commercial that we're doing. I said, sure, I'll come do it. And so they started using me for, uh, for commercials. And um, I did like Miller Lite, Mitsubishi, Taco Bell. And so I was doing all these national commercials, yodeling. It was kind of popular back in the early 90s, yodeling and commercials, that and surf guitar music. Mm -hmm, right. So um, I was the yodeler guy. And then in 1996... Uh, Yahoo went public and they were making a commercial and they wanted to uh, have something quirky and uh, yodelish for their for their name Yahoo and they said can you yodel the name Yahoo and I said yeah I can sure try so I went down there and gave them a bunch of different examples of what I could do with the word Yahoo yodeling and uh, so they picked one and um, this it it started airing in uh, regional commercials in 1996. And it was interesting because they hired me. There's different rates for, for the, 
for when you do voiceovers for commercial work. And if you do a regional commercial, it's not, it's, it's just a one-time payment. And that's what we were doing back in 1996 for Yahoo was just some California regional commercials. Well, I did those. And then in the year, I think it was 2000 or 1999, I was watching the Super Bowl and a Yahoo commercial came on. And this when this is when Yahoo was really starting to take off about around 2000 watching the Super Bowl. And I heard my yodel and I said, wait a minute, this is a national commercial and they only paid me for a regional commercial. So I had to go knocking on their door and, uh, finally get a hold of their legal department and through some wrangling they finally settled and uh, made good on on the yodel but they started using it for their their um audio icon you know it was played whenever yeah it was played whenever you got an email you'd hear the yahoo and at the end of all their commercials and they had a huge commercial campaign not only nationally but worldwide they were yahoo was really advertising and my yodel was a big part of that advertising campaign. So believe it or not, you know, the kid from Montana who just yodeled to goof off when he was a teenager, here, here I was being heard all over the world um, with my yodel. So it was, it was a strange route to kind of get to where it was, but um, I'm really happy that they chose me to, to be their yodeler. So do you get to be like an actor that's got a movie that's constantly running in syndication on TNT where you just walk out every couple of weeks and say, hello, check, and uh, get your Yahoo buck? <laughs> You know, um, so Yo- Yahoo eventually just made one lump sum payment to buy off the Yodel to buy the copyright for the Yodel. And uh, uh, it was a very fair settlement. And through that, you know, I um, bought some really nice cutting horses and did what I wanted to do <laughs> with my rant life and musical life. It allowed me to get off the road a little bit. I, about in the 2000s, we were doing about um, 200 dates a year. Wow. Um, I was gone all the time. So it allowed me to work a little le- bit less uh, with my music, get off the road and to be able to focus more on what I love, which is ranching. More importantly, does that allow you to go back in time to anybody who was like, you got to stop with that yodeling. You're never going to get anywhere with that and just put it in their eye. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wrote a song called the yodeling fool, which is autobiographical. And it was kind of the story of, you know, how, how the yodeling kid, everybody hated the yodel because it was just, um, you know, they heard it all the time. And, and then the boy disappeared and, uh, pretty soon they started hearing that yodel on the radio. So they could never get away from it. Nice. So that song is called the cool. It's, uh, it's got over a, and it's also a YouTube video. It's got over a million hits on YouTube. So and we were looking at some of the YouTube videos and I, and I also saw, you know, we've talked about the yodel and, and your music, of course, most Montanans will, uh, have seen you perform somewhere in the state, but the uh, you did a song with Merle Haggard. It's a song that probably today couldn't have been cut, but uh, you did a song with Merle. What was that like? That was wonderful. In the title, you're right. The title was called "An Ugly Girl Told Me No." So uh, <laughs> uh, it's one of those songs. That who who knows if it could get any airplay today? But it was fun. Um, we actually. Um, started doing music videos. Um, when I, after I moved to Los Angeles, I, I ended up getting a record deal on Rounder Records, which is a great little label uh, out of Boston, Massachusetts. They have like George Thorogood and Allison Krauss. And so we were on that label and started doing videos. And then we got hired to play the Sahara Casino in Las Vegas during National Finals Rodeo Week. This was back in 1993. And we we were opening for Merle Haggard for a 10 day run at the Sahara. It was wonderful. And we got to know Merle 
he was a wonderful guy. He kind of took us under his wing and said, you know, why don't you guys come up to my brand new studio in Redding, California and record your next album. So of course we went right up there and recorded the album and he was kind enough to, to sing with us in the studio, a couple songs. And uh, he uh, agreed to shoot a video video with us, which was uh, the ugly girl blues. And that was a lot of fun. And, you know, Merle, like I say, you're, you're always worried about meeting your heroes. You know, you never know if they're going to be jerks or whatever. And Merle was just the nicest guy and uh, couldn't have been nicer to us and, and really helped us out. Now, Wiley, you still call Montana home. And you, obviously your music career took off. You've had a lot of big city experiences. You know, what was the level of temptation to head out to, whether it was L.A. or Hollywood or California in some form or fashion, and live out in that part of the universe? Well, I did, you know, so I, I, I did my time in Los Angeles. I did my time in Nashville. <laughs> and I always, you know, when you move away from Montana, if you were born and raised here, I think all of us want to get back here somehow. You know, the, we, we, it's just, you know, and I grew up on the ranch, uh, hunting, fishing, doing all the skiing, doing all the wonderful Montana activities. And when you're away from that, all you do is miss it. Um, so my plan was to get back to Montana eventually. It took me, I think I was gone for, I think, 14 years, and I was able to move back here eventually. And uh, and it just took, you know, sometimes you have to get out of state to uh, pursue a career. But it's, I think, like I said, I think most, most of us always who move out of state want to get back to Montana. I know you've performed uh, all over the world. Um, what, what are the uh, kind of the... Uh signature performances so far that you've done that kind of were were surprising to you like okay we're gonna go here and do this like i mean the the, the conan show is one of them obviously stuff like that but but maybe yeah. maybe in a different country or some of those really really interesting gigs you've had yeah you know and the probably the biggest one the biggest thrill was playing the grand old opry stage we've actually been on the grand old opry for over 50 appearances so that was um you know for for a small town kid from Montana, that was a, quite an honor and still, you know, one of my cherished memories, the, the times we did the Grand Ole Opry stage. You know, and we've also, another fun show was the Prairie Home Companion with Garrison Keeler. That was a wonderful show to do, playing with wonderful musicians on that show. And then we've been lucky enough to tour internationally. We've kind of been cultural diplomats. Um, we've done a lot of cu cultural diplomacy tours, believe it or not. The Montana image and the cowboy image is popular all over the world. Um, and so we've got we've been sent to China, Russia, South America, Japan. Um, and our music has just taken us wonderful places. And um, so that that part of my career, um, you know, the traveling is, is a little bit diff difficult at times, especially the older I get. But, boy, I've been lucky and blessed to be able to travel all over doing music, doing what I love. And I think that uh, we, we had uh, done – we did a podcast, and we've interviewed her multiple times, and we had Stephanie Quayle on. And we asked her, because she's been on the Grand Ole Opry a few times, and we asked her if she might hold the record for Grand Ole Opry appearances by a Montanan. And she said, no, I, I think Wiley's got that. So that, that, <laughs> I think you might still hold that for a while. Yeah, you know, um, it, it was just one of those things where, um, you know, it, it was it was a great experience and still is when we go back there. Um, you know, I just pinch myself every time I'm on that stage. 
Wiley, what did you do when they shut everything down? I mean, even in a depleted tour, you're going to be doing some travel, and then obviously nobody did any for a couple of years there. What was life like in, in that time? It was really hard, I think, for all musicians. Um, you know, we that's what we do, and, and there's a part of us that kind of needs to get out and be in front of people and perform and do our thing, and, and not doing that for two years, um, talking to my friends and just experience experience experiencing it it it's it was really difficult you know not only the we didn't have an income that was that was pretty hard but like i say that um there's a part in every performing artist that just needs to get out and perform and we weren't able to do that so it's coming back a little bit you know we're we're not 100 percent yet with our with our shows that we um we're doing in 2019 so but hopefully it will get back to that within the next year or two with the um uh music and then uh going you, you know you were in la and now you're back in montana but you still perform you still do these these trips it's got to be interesting to go from those places and to be around those places and then come back to the farm when i when i contacted wiley i'm like you know can we arrange this and he said i'm right in the middle of haying season which uh <laughs> It's probably a better one than you've had in the past uh, few years. But but what's that balance like between all of a sudden you're on stage and 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 you're performing and you're with these crowds and then you're you're on the the ranch where it's quiet and there's real work to be done. Well, it it, it believe it or not, it feeds off of each other, both sides. So I I am inspired by the ranch life, which helps me write the music. We do a lot of original music. Uh, we have, I think, over 20 albums out now, and and most of those albums are original songs, you know, about mostly about Montana and our wonderful lifestyle. And then, um, you know, when when I get out on the road, the hardest thing is driving past the mailbox, you know, and knowing that you're going to be away from the ranch for a while. But it's usually once you get to the gig and get on stage, it's wonderful because we kind of need that uh, being in front of an audience and and letting our music do what it does you know it's it's the best feeling in the world is to watch people smile and dance to your music you know there's nothing like it i can't even describe it so that's pretty cool but um it, it is a balance striking a balance between the two and i think that i'm really lucky to be able to have that balance and kind of have two lives where if i get sick and ranching which after hay and season you know i'm plenty sick of it <laughs> just want to get out on the road for a while uh you know but it's um, you, you just miss it once you're away from it. And uh, same with the music. I miss if I'm away from the music too long, I start missing that. So what, what's it, it like, it's a, uh, a pretty cool life. What's it like with your uh, your neighbors, ranch, ranches or communities, your ranching communities, uh, and the people around you, knowing you're, you're, you're also a performer? And uh, you, does your personality change at all, or do they, uh, do they come see your shows? It, it better not, you know, in Montana, you know, a prophet has no honor in his own country. They, uh, you know, I'm just a regular uh, rancher guy when I'm around my neighbors and, you know, uh, helping my brother. My brother still yells at me, you know, if I'm in the wrong place, you know, uh, in in the way of the cattle or whatever. And so it's, it's, it's good to be kind of humbled by this lifestyle. Uh, you know, and of course the cattle and the horses don't know that I'm a famous yodeler and they don't care. Um, and so a lot of us are the same way, which is kind of, kind of nice. Um, it brings me back down to earth to, to come back to Montana. And, you know, my parents taught me to be humble and, and gracious. And, and I think that has always been a, a part of who I am. I, I, I at least try to be that way. And, um, it's when 
I think when you're out on the road, and especially when we were doing 200, 200 shows a year, you know, back in the 2000s, um, you know, you knew that what it wasn't going to last forever. And the other uh, words of wisdom that I remember was like, don't ever believe your press release, you know, uh, don't, don't believe your promotional agent, what he says about you. you know? <laughs> and I was always believed I'm just a lucky ranch kid being able to do what I, I love to do. Well, and Wiley, you're trying to strike a balance between two lifestyles individually that are all consuming. I know ranchers, that's it. That's all they do. 365. I know professional musicians, that's it. It's all consuming in that regard. Who's helping out? Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of people helping out. I have a family, uh, my brother, Eric, my brother, Barr helped me out. Like when, when an emergency emergency happens, when I'm gone, I have great neighbors. And then uh, my wonderful wife, Jenny, I uh, have a couple kids, you know, if the cows get out or something, they can usually round them up. Um, so it's the wonderful part about being from a small community like Conrad is everybody kind of knows you and, and will help you out. And uh, so that's good. And, and um, you know, I don't have a lot of acres like my brother's a full-time rancher and up on the two medicine river. So I know what that's like, you know, I just uh, kind of raised, um, we have a, a band of about 12 brood mares, a couple stallions. And then uh, I, I buy a truckload of grass calves every summer, you know, so I have cattle uh, during the summer. So uh, I don't have to go through like in the springtime or not, cabin out or anything like that so uh i consider myself a part-time rancher and i think uh wiley is the third podcast we've done with somebody who's in a hall of fame because uh wiley's in the montana cowboy hall of fame what what did that mean to you uh, to go into that hall of fame and be among those people well that was a pretty big deal for me because you know my my dad rib gustafson um he was inducted into the cowboy hall of fame i think in 2011 or 2012 and um so I got to follow him and also my uncle Duke Gustafson, uh, my uncle Jack Galt, uh, Louise Galt. You know, so I have relatives that have gone in there and, you know, I don't measure up to them. Uh, that generation, the generation before me, they were quite a generation, it's, it's especially kind of opening this country up in, in Montana in the 40s and 50s. And um, so, you know, they went through a lot and saw a lot of changes. You know, I just feel that. Um, you know, being a musician and, and singing about our Western culture, you know, one of the things that I've always told myself is, you know, I, I want to be true to the to our culture. You, If you listen to country music nowadays, it's really gotten away from our agrarian roots. You know, um, if you listen to the lyrics, they don't really sing about what's going on um, in in our part of the world in a real way, in an authentic way. And, and so I've always told myself that I want to be, uh, I want to reflect this culture in an authentic way. And so some of my heroes are like Ian Tyson and um, some of the great cowboy songwriters, contemporary cowboy songwriters, you know, guys like Baxter Black, um, they're friends. And they've taught me that, you know, that it's it, um, it it really is better to try to be authentic and be who you are. And, and um, for me, when I write a song and my neighbor, the rancher, likes it and smiles and taps his foot to it or understands the lyrics, what I'm talking about. That really means a lot to me. Now, there's been a little bit of a resurgence with that type of music with guys like Coulter Wall, Corb Lund, uh, who also have the same influences, Ian Tyson mentioned among them. Uh, is, have, you, have you seen any of that, that kind of resurgence in popularity reach you and your music? 
Um, a little bit, you know, Coulter uh, uh, and um, Corb, you know, Corb, believe it or not, Corb's dad was a veterinarian and he, he his dad was uh, came down to Montana and worked with my dad. They were they were both veterinarians when Corb's dad got out of vet school. He went and did an apprenticeship with my dad. So I actually have known Corb for a long time and watched Corb kind of rise through the ranks. You know, he has a great Nashville label. And I think uh, what he's done is wonderful for our culture, you know, singing songs that are real and humorous. And, um, you know, I really appreciate what he what he's done. So uh, we are seeing a little bit of that. Uh, we haven't had a lot of great radio success because um, our music, I don't know, for whatever reason, um, our music is kind of a, a secret. We have a lot of loyal fans, but we haven't had the huge radio success. That would, I guess, help us get out, out on the road a little bit more and get a little more exposure. But we still do a lot of um, really interesting gigs like we do the Nash- this uh, August. We'll go out and do the National Folk Festival in uh, in Maryland. And we've done a lot of those over the years. And so we reach kind of a, an audience that has nothing to do with radio airplay. It's people that just um, want to hear authentic music. And and so that's always been fun, being able to play the folk festivals and um, and do those things where, you know, radio is not that important. Is growing your music still something that you focus on? Yeah, it is. You know, so I just recorded a brand new album and I record in Nashville. I, recorded the last 20 albums in nashville so i have a new album coming out it'll probably be out in january or february we're done recording it um and um i don't record as often as i used to but it's still important to me to to record music write music um and and get it down and release it because we have a lot of loyal fans that want to keep hearing our music and hopefully we have some new fans that haven't discovered us what the nice thing about the digital age you know i talk about radio airplay we are getting a lot of downloads on iTunes and Amazon and that's kind of allowed and Spotify, um, Pandora, all those places that, that, uh, people can be very specific about their tastes. Um, we get played on a lot of those channels and that has really helped us out. So a lot of my royalty checks now are from digital downloads and digital radio play. So that I guess is, is where we have expanded and hopefully will continue to expand. Yeah, you were a part of uh, a small part, but you're definitely a part of uh, something that now is considered iconic. And that was the, the famous Paul Harvey uh, commercial, the, the uh, uh, God uh, Cowboy commercial, which they yep. play it here at the rodeo every single year. That was one of the most successful commercials literally in, in commercial history. And I'm sure you still hear about it. And all it was basically with you is just a, a picture of you and the family at the table. What is that? What have you heard about that? That that one little moment in the one commercial. How much have you heard about that? Well, a lot, you know, and it's um, and and through especially the the local people recognized who we were, but it's also you know part of our press kit because it is such an iconic commercial. Um, you know, God loves a farmer. The and and it it's still being played, um, um, and it's one of those things where we just lucked out and. Um, you know, uh, they were looking for a ranch family and our name came up through some, from somewhere. And, and so they sent a photographer from Chicago to, to shoot life on the ranch. And 
we had no idea at the time what they were shooting. We thought it was for a National Geographic story or something like that, but it was for the Dodge commercial. And it was just one of those things of being in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, sometimes you just luck on to things, and we, we definitely did that. But it was important to us, and we're really proud to be a part of that commercial because we this lifestyle, um, you know, this ranching lifestyle is, is so overlooked, you know, by the rest of the world, that whenever we can promote that and promote the goodness of this culture and the, and the goodness of this experience of raising cattle and wheat and putting it on the tables, um, it, it's really important to, to our family. Uh, my sister, Kristen Juris, is the lieutenant governor, and, and she, I think, her part of, of being on the ticket was promoting Montana agriculture and knowing Montana agriculture. So um, anytime our family can promote this, this what we do, we, we, we will do it. Well, Wiley, speaking of that culture, Scott and I keep a running list of small town Mon- Montana festivals we need to get to. Talk to me about Whoop Up Days. What do we need to know so about Whoop Up Days, thing? yeah. Uh, that's our annual rodeo parade. I grew up you know, riding horses in the hoop up parade ever since I can remember. Uh, my dad was one of the original founders of the hoop up rodeo. He actually helped build and set up the rodeo grounds just north of Conrad here. So it's been going, um, I'm sure over 50 years now or close to 50 years. Uh, and it's just one of those, every small town kind of has their big celebration in the hoop up days rodeo and parade is ours. It's the first weekend of every June. Um, and we just finished it this year. It was a wonderful time. We had great crowds. It's a great little rodeo. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's that's what makes up small-town America is little events like that. Well, with the small-town America and Montana, a lot of that is changing as we're seeing. Uh, we talk about it all the time. Um, you know, there, there's as part of that, there's another aspect of it that, that we – it's more global – um, but it's got to it's got to affect people like you, and you've got to have some strong thoughts on it. It's basically a war on cattle and a war on meat that's happening right now, with them blaming them for methane gas, and then all of the uh, all of the the vegan activists and animal rights activists. You know, how do you kind of uh, you you've you've got a good attitude on life. How do you kind of keep that balance? And and what do you do to advocate uh, being a rancher and a farmer? You know, that's why I think the. God made a farmer uh, commercial was so important. It, it advocated in, in a real cool way with mostly just images uh, and Paul's beautiful words. Um, But anytime that, that people can see this lifestyle, you know, our biggest wish is that people could come from the city and just hang out with us for a week or two and see kind of what we do. Um, I think they would fall in love with the culture and have a huge appreciation for the, you know, sustained, um, um, you know, we, we are the ones that will keep the grass growing and keep uh, the conservation practices going because we have to, we want to hand it down to the, the the next generations so in real subtle ways we're promoting it all the time but whenever we can promote it you know when i'm out on the road singing especially when we go out and do these east coast things like the national folk festival a lot of my stories between the songs are about the songs which are about my lifestyle you know whether it's picking hay bales or you know um we have a a lot of songs that kind of 
poke fun at our culture, but in a way explain a little bit what it's all about, you know, like the way Baxter Black did, like the way Corb Lund does, um, you know, and so when we can do that, I think that's our, that's my best way of pr promoting the culture is just keep writing about it and keep performing it. And that's why it's important for us to record. Um, so not only do we have live performances, but people can listen to our music on iTunes or Spotify or Pandora. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's important that people see what this lifestyle is all about. And of course, you know, the vegan industry has been promoted for a long time. Um, and who knows where, what eventually will happen. But I think as long as somebody um, wants to stop by McDonald's or Burger King, you know, we'll, we'll have a career um, in, in the cowboy industry, raising beef and putting it on the tables. And I think uh, we're a long way off from it uh, ever going away. So hopefully, you know, and it's, the other good thing is like my brother Barr up on the Two Medicine River, he has a couple kids that are in their early 20s and they want to stay on the ranch and um, do what, what their parents did. And it's, so it's good to see that we have a new generation of Montana kids wanting to um, remain in this culture. Uh, not all of them are heading to the city. Not all of them are headed out of state. And I think, you know, like my story, once I did head out of state, I found out that it wasn't such a great world out there that Montana was indeed the last best place. Well, you've mentioned it a couple of times. You said you did your time in California and Nashville, and that sounds like a prison term. And then you got to come back to Montana. How do you impart that message on your kids that the grass isn't greener necessarily in places where there is, in fact, no green grass? Well, yeah. And so that's I, I try to I have three children. Uh, one's a 14, one six year old and uh, and a four year old. And I always you know, they love to go out and hang out with me on the tractor, feeding the cattle or whatever fencing. And um, so I think just growing up in that, they they have an appreciation for it. And I I'll, I think it's important if kids want to leave Montana to let them go, you know, and see what it's like out there. Some kids go away and stay away. Um, I think a lot of the kids will will come back. A lot of uh, my friends have moved back and um, it's good to see, you know, it's just one of those things that it really is hard to make a living in Montana in certain industries, you know, um, but I think uh, one of the good things that the governor is doing is trying to create uh, um, a situation where we bring back kids back to Montana or give them a reason to stay in Montana so they never have to move away. So there it is from a guy who's uh, has been around the block, around the world. He's, you've seen so much and, and still found what it is that's valuable here we talk about it all the time and uh, and uh, we know it so uh, i'm a lifelong montanan and it's funny because uh, some people have that need to leave and then they come back others uh just kind of stick here and and it's uh, it, they we know it you know it's, it's such a great place so i, I couldn't yeah you know you, you said it really well there and, and i'm glad to hear that the kids are going to continue that within your family yeah. And as I'm seeing other family ranching families where it's kind of cool now, you know, maybe in my generation, I, I graduated high school in 1979. I think there was um, a little more of expectancy for the kids to move away and maybe not come back to ranch because, you know, uh, ranchers were really getting beat up in the seventies and eighties. You know, a lot of r ranches got lost, you know, it was just really hard to make a living. And so I think as, as long as we can, figure out a way for kids to make a decent living, you know, um, at, at, in agriculture and not lose their pants. I think that there's always going to be the generations wanting to come back. And I think so part of 
are fixing the problem of kids moving away is making sure that there's a secure future financially um, for the people that continue to stay in agriculture. Well, Wiley, that was certainly my experience as a kid, baling hay and, and working on the farm. All I heard growing up was, this isn't going to be around. So don't don't count on this because the farms are going away and the and the farmers and the ranchers are going away. And now that I'm uh, probably too old and far too broke to get restarted, that's all I want to do. I just wish I had <laughs> yeah. enough land to raise some animals and I could get up and make my own schedule and not have to drive to <laughs> stupid work every stupid day. Um, well, how do we how do we get that right message out there to the kids? You know, I think especially through the schools, you know, our school has an egg agriculture week. And so they'll come out to my ranch where I raise quarter horses and cutting horses. And I uh, kind of show them what we do with our horses and and just taking it, the kids that are in these small town Montana schools and taking them out to the farms. I know there's a couple other big farms they go out to and check it out. I think that helps a lot. I think promoting it early on. Uh, that this is a great lifestyle and a lifestyle that you can grow old with and stay in Montana with and be happy with. That's the most important thing. I think most of the ranchers I know that, that do, we're happy people, you know, we enjoy what we do. We love what we do. It's hard work, but that's, you know, um, that's what we love to do. I would rather, uh, put in a hard day hay in and buck and bales than, um, you know, sitting behind a computer screen uh, in some dark office. Well, Wiley, you'll be happy to know I am uh, I am the proud uh, stepfather of a brand new agriculture teacher at a brand new high school. So uh, that program is being carried on in, in a in a new high school, and and my daughter did not grow up on a farm. I, my daughter did not grow up on a ranch and uh, she grew up in Great Falls in the city and she chose to become an agriculture teacher. And, and I'm really, I'm proud of her for that. And I, and I think it's a good sign. It is. And I see lots of, you know, every time I see a young kid becoming a egg teacher or you know, part of the extension uh, program, it's just good to see these young families um, coming in and, and, um, being the new generation that's interested and loves what we do. So it's, it's really encouraging. And I think we're in a good spot now. I think, you know, um, a lot better spot than we were maybe 20 years ago. I think, um, you know, I think especially with the changes in the world today, I think a lot more people are, are appreciating um, our lifestyle. Um, we sure have our detractors and we'll always have our detractors and I'll always have the people that, are saying that beef are making too much methane, you know? Um, but I think the reality of it is, is there will always need to be food on the table and we're the ones responsible for doing that. And um, it's, it's going to be around for a while. Well, uh, speaking of the young people, uh, Wiley, are you, uh, how much social media do you do? Are you, are you on TikTok? I'm a, I'm not a tick. I do have a TikTok account, but I'm a Facebook guy. You know, that's kind of how we promote our band. And, um, uh, haven't quite moved to TikTok yet. I think I'm going to do a couple new videos for this new album. And um, of course, um, they'll be thrown up on our, our TikTok account. But uh, yeah, mostly Facebook. And of course, we have a website um, with all our tour dates. And uh, so we're kind of old fashioned that way, I guess. You get the 14 year old to work on the TikTok account? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he's all into it. So uh, <laughs> that's the wonderful thing about having a teenage kid, you know, they can kind of get you updated on what, what's going on. So while you're out there working the farm, Wiley, what are you listening to? What music do you make time for? 
You know, I I love the old music from the 30s and 40s and 50s. If you listen to my, I probably have, you know, on my desktop computer, I probably have six or 7,000 songs of my album collections over the last 40 years. I've always been a lover of music from from a, a different era, I guess, you know, 30s, 40s. I think the golden era of country music for me was the 50s and 60s. So I listened to a lot of that, um, uh, you know, like Fair and Young and, uh, you know, some, some of the maybe not so well-known country artists from the 50s and 60s. Um, and, and then a crossover into like big band music, blues music, uh, anything that's authentic and American, I kind of like. So, um, uh, and then I, I have my, you know, contemporary artists like Corblund. I have probably all his albums on my playlist. Um, so there's, there's some of the newer stuff that I like, but um, I kind of have a, I guess, wide ranging taste in music. And if you listen to our music, um, you know, it's, it, it goes a little bit all over the place at times, you know, and that's from the old music that I listen to. I'm also a Christian, so I love, love to listen to old gospel music, the old hymns, um, you know, so that's a big part of my life, I guess, is uh, my faith. Um, so there's that part of, part of the music that I listen to also. I was just looking at your tour dates, and uh, I mean, everywhere from uh, Boulder, Montana, Absorky to Fishtail, all the way to uh, Paris, France, and Euro Disney. So uh, you get, <laughs> I don't know what your your frequent flyer mileage is like, but those have got to be some shows that you were kind of looking forward to. How, how did those happen? And, uh, and uh, tell us about those last two that are in March of 2023. Yeah, so that's a, a, a France trip. We actually go... Um, across the Atlantic or Pacific, um, at least uh, once every other year, maybe twice, once a year, you know, it's for some reason, the audience in Europe appreciates our style of music, I think more than Americans do. They really like the older style country music. Um, they always have. Um, and like there's festivals over there that are, have great old style country music. A lot of my friends play over there. Um, so this will be our, actually our second appearance at Euro Disney. I think we played there probably 20 years ago. So we're going back there. Uh, and it is kind of fun to, to do those trips, see, uh, uh, an audience of international folks that, that really, really appreciate American music. You know, we went to China, we've done a couple China tours and I always worried about the language barrier, but you know, they, a lot of people speak English, but more than the, the language of our music, I think there's just a feel behind it and a, and a beat and a groove. And, and it, it, uh, there's something that has to do with, with more than the language um, that people really, really enjoy about American music. Well, you learn something new every day, and I learned that there's a Billy Bob's at Euro Disney in France. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so they, they're selling that American culture all over the place, you know. <laughs> mcdonald's and billy bob's <laughs> it often sounds like they have an easier time selling people on the idea and the positives of american culture in places other than america it is you know i think we get complacent to it and we don't appreciate what american culture is and that's um you know it's like moving away from montana you have a whole new appreciation for it once you look at it from a distance or don't get to partake in the activities of montanans after a while you really start to miss all that we were so lucky that we have. So I think, yeah, Americans are pretty, pretty, I think, um, 
oblivious to the fact of how special our culture is, you know, and it is being sold all over the world. Like when we went to China, it's amazing how big Elvis still is over in China to this very day, you know. So um, uh, we always make sure that when we go to China, we do at least a couple Elvis songs. You know, you can't go wrong doing Elvis. Well, man, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun, and I'm glad to see that on your tour dates, you actually that Dayton Boulder. That's just up the yeah. road from my house, uh, so I will be able to swim down and check that out. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that was. It's on a there. great little festival in, uh, in Boulder. We've we've done it a few times. It's in the park there. Uh, it's usually a great time of the year, September. You know, yeah. Uh, leaves are changing it's nice and brisk out it's a great little festival and so yeah check out our website there's there's a couple uh festivals i think we're doing this year so um we just did one in highwood i love doing these small town festivals um people come from all over the place and and just montana has become a destination for summer concerts you know so people come from out of state our fans will come from California, they just need a good excuse like Boulder, Montana to make a trip to Montana. It's really cool to see that Montana has figured out that summertime music, you know, is something um, that people are really into. Like that's why the Red Ants Pants Festival has taken off. They have a new festival up in Whitefish, a new country music festival that's really starting to take off. So it's good to see that Montana is becoming a destination music concert. Well, not, it's it's not not for nothing. None of that works without guys like you out there working your ass off and making all, all those miles and and all the accommodations and doing all of the work to get around to those shows. So, uh, you know, certainly you're to be commended for doing all of that. Thanks. While you're not at Euro Thanks. Disney, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Up. No, I prefer. You know, it's believe it or not. Um, I prefer playing, not having to get on a plane and go all the way across the ocean. So if there's a good Montana festival, I've, I'm, I'm in with it. I'm, you know, I'd love, I love to do Montana festivals. So. Well, we will have all of the links in the show notes portion of the, uh, of the pod here when, uh, for people to click on, they can go check out your tour dates and everything they need to know about you. Wiley, thank you so much. Thank you guys. And thanks for promoting Montana and doing what you do. You know, uh, great doing this uh, little talk with you guys and getting to know you a little bit so hopefully we'll meet you face to face down the trail thank you to all of you for checking out this week's edition of the podcast remember to rate review and subscribe wherever you found this thing and we will be back next week